Hello, my name is John Schaefer and I'm here today with Jonathan Golan, manager of the MAN GLG Sterling Corporate Bond Fund. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Where are you seeing the best buying opportunities in credit currently? And do you think opportunities have softened a bit since Key Fuel last year? So our investment approach is centered around the concept of the margin of safety. Um, in very simple terms, it means that we seek to buy um, bonds with yields that greatly exceed the credit risk, so that would be in certain geographies, sectors, and down to the individual um, security level. Therefore, our um, view on the market tends to be um, counter-cyclical. So when yields and spreads are high, we tend to be more aggressive, and um, conversely, when, when yields are low and, and, and spreads are tight, we tend to be more conservative. Therefore. Um, last year, um, from the second half of last year, when there was a lot of negativity around fixed income, uh, we've turned um, very bullish um, and invested aggressively in the market. And as we go into, um, as we've gone into 2023, um, our bullish view has been um, tamed to some degree, um, but still seeing very deep value opportunities if you know where to look. And particularly in terms of geography, we're favoring Europe over the United States um, due a combination of both fundamentals and valuations. Um, Sector-wise, um, again, going with the value theme and seeking opportunities where, where others are quite fearful. Um, we're finding quite a lot of opportunities in European real estate um, and in the financial sector. Um, and I mean, this is despite the fallout from Credit Suisse, the fallout from SVB, and you know, property itself has had its significant issues recently. Why so positive on that area? So I, I would go a step further, is a result of that volatility. So where other investors may see um, risks, oftentimes we see opportunity. Um, whenever there's volatility around a certain sector, we take our investment process, which is um, seeking bonds that have very attractive yields but solid fundamentals, so companies that have strong cash generation. Um, and then we seek to um, harvest or uh, exploit the short-term volatility in order to create long-term value. And that's what I've done throughout my career. So if you, look, um, if you look to the past, so in 2020, when people were very nervous around um, leisure-related companies, aviation, etc., that's when we were very bullish. And before that, in 2016, 17, where people were um, quite reluctant to invest in the UK following the Brexit referendum, that's when we were quite bullish. And then if you go further back than that, you know, around 15, 16, when you had um, very weak oil prices, we were aggressively um, in the oil sector. So um, these sort of things happen time and time again in a timeless way. And from our perspective, that's actually... Um, where us, where we as um, active manager can add a lot of value. What kind of yields are you expecting at the moment? Um, so in the investment grade space, within very specific segments of the markets, again, financial, um, real estate, um, focusing on Europe, uh, we can generate um, even double digit yields. So um, our fund currently has um, about 13% yield um, with, with a running yield also in around 8-9%, which means that um, we're paying out very attractive dividends with also the potential for capital growth from this differential between the running yield and the effective yield. So how far down the credit spectrum do you have to go to that, get these kind of punchy yields of, of yeah. 13%? So we're very much focused on 
um, the triple B segment of the market of investment grade, um, which is very different from how we were positioned when we launched the fund um, in, in main GLG. So when we launched the fund, the market was quite, um, everyone was very bullish and the market was quite expensive. And therefore we were focusing more on uh, covered bonds, triple A's, um, UK government bonds um, and, and cash. And as market sold off, we've shifted our attention towards triple B, triple B minus, and we can also do some, um, we can also invest a portion of the fund in high yield securities up to 20% of net asset value. So when going for lower credit ratings like that, what's the risk of default? So um, one of the things I'm, I'm a big believer in is separating the external credit rating from our internal assessment of the credit risk. So uh, we don't invest based on credit letters. We, based, um, we invest based on our assessment of the credit risk that is attached to these companies. Um, we have very strict underwriting criteria that are focused on cash generation, specifically um, metrics that are comparable between companies from different industries. So the key metric that we use is called unlevered free cash flow, which is a measure of the cash generation um, that is available um, to service the debt. And we always seek um, for this number to be um, in excess of 10%, which means that if we as creditors take over the company, I, we will enjoy a 10% running yield, real yield, which we think is um, providing sufficient margin of safety. Um, you know, one of your holdings is Credit Suisse in, mm -hmm. in uh, your standing corporate bond fund. Um, you know, why did you invest in, in that issuance? So uh, we've made very attractive returns investing in Credit Suisse and actually it's been um, one of the, um, a significant contributor to our excess returns relative to, to our benchmark and, and our peers. Uh, we invested in Credit Suisse in um, senior bonds there that are now going to be transitioning into UBS, into the combined entity once that deal um, is sort of fully um, consummated. Uh, and the reason that we invested in these bonds um, is because of the deep margin of safety that, that we found in Credit Suisse once the volatility there started. So if you think about the senior bonds in that um, capital structure, um, they had credit support or junior securities below that um, of about 65 billion plus, which provided ample margin of safety um, for us. And as it turns out, um, whilst the equity got very minimal remuneration and the um, junior tier one holders um, got completely wiped out, uh, the senior holders are um, protected mm -hmm. and are moving into UBS, which is a very credit worthy bank. Did you have any exposures to the AT1 loans? Not at all. Not at all. Um, why didn't you invest in them? We saw better risk reward opportunity in the senior bonds where we felt that there is an opportunity um, depending on the tenor and the currency, there was an opportunity to make between you know, 10 and even 40% at, at the lows, which was, um, um, which was very attractive with what we viewed as very minimal credit risk given the um, credit support that you had from the um, junior, um, junior creditors and, and equity. So um, inflows into your Sterling Corporate Bond Fund have been particularly high over the past six months or so. I mean, you're now sitting around 416 million um, investors been piling seemingly a couple of hundred million o o into the fund recently. Why do you think the strategy is proving so popular? So I would, I would break it down into 
two components. I think um, investors are quite attracted to the um, consistent um, performance that I've generated in this strategy over the last seven odd years. So the strategy um, has outperformed peers and um, the benchmark every year, irrespective of whether the market went up or down. So people quite like that consistency. And in fact, last year, um, 2022, which was the worst year for, for bond markets of the last 50 odd years, it was our best year in terms of relative returns. So I think um, investors are quite attracted to this, um, to the fact that we are um, agnostic to the directionality of markets. So we don't care whether the market goes up or down. Our investment process is designed to, um, to operate in both environments. And then secondly, um, investors are very attracted to the high, um, high yield they were able to um, provide, both in terms of income and effective yield. Um, as I've discussed earlier, um, that, that you know, high single digit um, running yield and then low double digit um, effective yield, which is something that has not been um, up for grabs or available over the last um, 15 plus years. I mean, do you think investor interest can be consistent? Do you think you're going to continue to get those inflows? I mean, that's, um, that's sort of always a tricky, tricky question to say, but certainly um, having been in this um, sector for the past decade, uh, this is the first time that I'm seeing investors not only seeking to go neutral, but even some investors um, seeking to go overweight bonds. And I'd say that one of my oldest investors, he used to say that they've been underweight fixed income since the 19th century. And all of a sudden I'm getting calls from, from them as well that they seek to, to increase their allocation to bonds. The second element is that the nominal yields that you're, you're now able to achieve in both government bonds and corporate bonds um, exceeds many people's expectations for long-term inflation mm. and therefore um, the possibility of generating attractive real yields with taking you know, not a lot of um, principal risk. I think investors are finding that quite alluring. Um, you talked about relative returns over, mm -hmm. over the past year. I mean, the f on your marketing material, it says that the fund's aim is to deliver positive performance in various market conditions. I appreciate this isn't a, an absolute return yeah. bond fund in any way, but um, you know, you did make a 2% loss over, over a year. Um, why didn't you make a positive return? So I think um, we have several strategies. Each has um, a different objective. Um, in our total return strategy, so the strategy that aims to um, be, let's say, more of an all-weather fund, so generate um, strong total returns in, um, in every market environment. There we've actually delivered um, almost 25% return net of fees over the last 12 months. Um, and in the sterling corporate bond strategy, which is a relative return strategy, um, my view is that we've been able to preserve capital very well in an environment that is difficult for uh, bonds. So to give you some context, the index that the fund is uh, benchmarked against um, is down 12%. So we have been able to um, provide an excess of 10% return relative to that index, which is certainly um, very strong performance uh, relative to peers and, and investors in the fund are quite, um, that I talk to are quite satisfied with that. Why do you prefer small and medium-sized issuers in the fund? So our preference is to own the best possible um, risk-reward opportunities in the market. Uh, sometimes it's large companies, but oftentimes it's medium and small-sized um, issuers. Um, whilst 
they're um, mid and small sized issuers. They're large companies in the absolute sense. To achieve an investment grade rating, you really need to have um, some scale. And the reason that oftentimes the opportunities, the best risk reward opportunities are concentrated um, in the small and medium sized issuers is that they're oftentimes are overlooked. So they're under-researched. We've got um, very large players in the fixed income market, but they really concentrate on the largest issuers in the benchmark. And they tend to neglect, um, they tend to neglect the small and medium-sized issuers, even though the smaller and medium-sized issuers actually account for the majority of the market in terms of number of issuers. So you don't believe the risk is greater with these small and medium-sized issuers? Not inherently. No. Obviously, sometimes it, it might be the case, but when I look historically, where did we have large blow-ups? Oftentimes, it was actually the large capital structures rather than the smaller capital structures. Where do you sit on duration currently? Our main focus is um, to select individual credits where we find exceptional yield with, with minimal credit risk, but we also manage our duration actively. And when we think about our duration positioning, we use the same tools that we use for corporate bonds for government bonds. So we think, what is the valuation relative to the risk? And actually, with the move that we've seen in guilt yields, uh, I'm certainly quite constructive on duration in government bonds. Um, at the minute, the market moves every day, but give or take, guilds yield about 4%, even long-dated guilds. Uh, and if you're a believer that over the medium term, the Bank of England will achieve its 2% inflation target, which is what I believe mm. in, then... Um, in how long? <laughs> so you're, 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 you're offered over the long run, so if you buy 10, 30-year guilds, you're offered 2% real yields, which is um, attractive historically. So historically, government bonds um, have provided between 0 and 1% real yield, and now you have a chance of capturing, call it between 1% and 2%. So, really so fundamentally, are you looking to lock in longer duration? So we are. Um, we had a conviction long position during the mini budget crisis. Ever since then, we did have a rally in government bonds, so we've tapered that um, that part of the fund. But we're still overweight duration relative to the benchmark by about um, five to ten percent. Yeah, um, and what are your thoughts on? Um a more severe recessionary environment? I mean, it, 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 does that factor into your thinking here? Certainly. I think both, um, both drivers of government bonds are now working in conjunction uh, in a favorable way for both government bonds and high-grade credit. So um, the growth picture, I think, is very weak. Um, growth, I would say, has surprised to the upside in the first quarter of the year and the last quarter of last year. But when you look at the drivers of growth, I think it's a low quality beat. So one of the key drivers have been pent up demand for things like restaurants, hotels. I don't think that is lasting forever and I don't think it's sustainable in terms of people's personal finances. And the second one um, has been invest in, investing in machinery and equipment, which is driven by tax breaks that have also um, expired now. So both of these tailwinds are, um, I think, will sort of wane um, as, as we go into the next quarter. So that your growth picture is very negative. Um, and then inflation is also peaked, um, has peaked last year. And I think we will see a continued deceleration. How fast this deceleration is going to happen, you know, I left my crystal ball in the mm. car. 
but I think the direction of travel is 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 this deceleration. Maybe it does still still seem fairly sticky though, inflation and th those prolonged um, high interest rates. I mean that that could be. Uh, quite detrimental to some of the companies that you're investing in. So when we lend money to individual companies, we apply very strict stress tests. So I always tell the analysts, the bull case I don't care about, we're creditors. We only care about downside risk. Um, so we are positioned um, in companies that can withstand very severe recessions, including our financials book, where we aim to lend to companies that are profitable through the cycle. So even the banks that we lend money to, um, unless it's a special situation like Credit Suisse, which was more of an um, investment on the strength of the balance sheet and the credit support, the 99% of the book is in companies where uh, we see profitability through the cycle. Do you limit the size of the funds you run? So my goal has always been to um, deliver industry-leading returns, and the returns that you generate um, can be impacted by the size of the fund that you manage. So it's certainly something that we have regular milestones that we've set to assess that we can still be um, deliver industry-leading returns. At the minute, um, we're running um, you know, 400, 450 odd million in the sterling corporate bond strategy, which I think is still quite far from our capacity, given that mm. historically I've, I've ran much more money than that in my previous... What would uh, the capacity limit be on that fund? So I think we, we will assess it, um, we will assess it, um, we have certain milestones and we will assess it, it's not a target or, mm. or, or, or a hard cap, we will just assess it and see how the conditions are I mean, in the market. As a fund manager, you, you, that, that might be uh, deemed as a bit of a, a, an easy get out because you could keep kicking the can down I mean, the road on that, couldn't you? No, not, not necessarily because we have, very, we have different funds that operate in different universes, so we're not really incentivized to grow one fund to a degree where it can't operate in a nimble yeah. way. Um, so, and I, I have a track record that, you know, previously I worked in Schroders and there we did soft close funds, so I do have a good track record of um, meeting that. The reason I actually don't say a, um, a hard number is that it could prove even to be sooner. It doesn't necessarily need to sure. prove to be to be to be later than that. So I say it's not you know it's more of a ceiling rather than a target. I mean, with equity funds, normally the reasoning behind fund casing is is, is liquidity fundamentally. Yeah. I mean, is liquidity as much of an issue in fixed income? I would say that liquidity generally um, is more of an issue for fixed income funds than equity funds, um, given that fixed income is an over-the-counter instrument. Um, and therefore, liquidity management is one of the key elements that we manage in the fund, um, including with um, the help of our risk team, where we always want to be in a position where we can um, liquidate um, a very substantial part of the fund within you know, one day, two days, three days, four days. Um, so we can meet very large redemptions should they should they mm. happen. And is that the primary reason for for limiting a size of it? I think it's more about generating um, strong returns rather than mm. liquidity because you can always add li very liquid bonds to the fund and grow it indefinitely sure. without compromising. Because the, the bond market is vast; it's several times fold. The, um, the size of the equity market. But as you were mentioning earlier, yeah. to get these sort of somewhat punchier opportunities exactly. in areas of the corporate bond market. Exactly, and I think one of the interesting facets now of the corporate bond market is that on the whole, 
the corporate bond market isn't particularly attractive. So this, the excess spread that you get for the broad market relative to government bond isn't particularly attractive. But then mask that, that masks the fact that in several sectors, in several geographies, you're getting not a once in a cycle opportunity, but once in a multiple cycle opportunity. And you can't can capture that with um, you know, in, um, unlimited amount of capital. You know, the opportunity is available only in a certain amount of capital. You have a few financials position in your portfolio. I mean, we've discussed this already, but I mean, is, is that a, a particularly bullish area um, considering the contagion yeah. we've had in that market recently? Is that going to continue to be a, a sort of top area for you? Yeah, so the fund itself is very nimble in the sense that when there is an opportunity um, in a geography sector or individual credit, we, we seize it and we tend to be quite aggressive when we see good opportunities. Um, but when that opportunity ceases to be attractive because valuation is corrected, we will also sell and move on to the next idea. Um, and therefore, some, some um, sort of sector positions are there for three, four years, and some are there for only two months. You know, if we can make money quickly, that's great. But if we can make money slowly, we can, we, we're happy to, to do that as well. Um, specifically on financials, um, this is uh, the longest or the most say the most bullish I've been in on financials um, over the last 10 years, um, mainly due to um, valuations. But here um, is very important to be nuanced. So um, we're very bullish on European financials where we don't see fundamental issues. We think Credit Suisse was um, an outlier rather than a precursor. Whereas in the US, we're very defensive. Mm. So we, we don't own a single US bank. Okay. In, in our strategy because we think there's real fragilities there. So that's not a value opportunity, that's a value trap. Um, so Europe is, is a value... Is that because of the sort of local bias to, to sort of the, these local banks that we saw with, with the SVB fallout? Or, or, or is that a sort of more fundamental issue with some of the more systemic banks? Uh, so it's, it's more on the regional bank side than yeah. the large banks. So we think that in all the, the globally systematic banks, they've, they've reported this quarter and they've actually demonstrated that their a their deposit franchise is stable and b that the um, asset side of their balance sheet um, is moving with interest rates so they haven't locked in as much of their balance sheet in long dated um, securities that are now underwater so they don't have the same issues as the regional ones um, but one thing I would say is these regional banks are very material for the U.S. economy. So they're really the main um, outlet for uh, commercial real estate lending, SME lending. This is not done so much by the large banks. And therefore, um, we think we see fragilities in the banking sector and also fragilities in the economy. And therefore, we're very much geared towards Europe where we get mm. better valuations and better fundamentals. So. You, you have your cake and you eat it too, I think that's a good idea. I mean, what about the likes of Deutsche Bank? Is that a concern for you in Europe? Uh, no, it's not a concern for me um, in Europe. So um, we've, we've looked into um, Deutsche Bank and I'm, I'm not going to opine here whether it's a good bank or a bad bank, but I would, I'm happy to say that um, it's got very uh, many dissimilarities from Credit Suisse. The key, the first one is that it's profitable. So Credit Suisse was, was loss-making uh, for the last two, three years and also projected two more years of losses, which is just too much for, for I guess, investors and, and clients to bear, whereas Deutsche Bank has been profitable 
last three years and we expect um, good profitability. Um, this year, secondly, the deposit franchise is much more robust, um, being focused mainly in, in Germany, unlike Credit Suisse, which had a big franchise in, in APEC, which proved to be much more um, flighty. So I think the talk around Deutsche Bank is, um, you know, the rumors of its death have been greatly exaggerated. We were talking about some of the sectors that you were seeing good opportunities in. Um, are there any sectors that you're avoiding at the moment? So I think managing a portfolio is always about having the yin and yang. So if you are long financials that inherently they're more cyclical, um, we are very much um, underweight and in some cases outright short in um, non-financial cyclicals, so automakers, um, consumer goods, um, capital goods, you know, if there's a company that's making washing machines or that sort of stuff, so yeah. very, very cyclical companies uh, with typically thin margins and, and low, um, low ability to pass through um, price rises, um, we think it's um, not the right time to be in those. How much of the sterling corporate bond fund um, is in short positions? No, not, not very much. Um, so that would be um, high single digit, low teens. Um, oftentimes yep. it would be paired with a long as well. Um, so just my psyche is more, more on the long side, find, finding value opportunities. And actually you find that, especially investment grade credit, um, companies are generally high quality credits and therefore it's is not easy to make money from um, shorting companies. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure.